For today's bonus audio, we bring you another classic. This is a message by Jean Fleming, whose talks on parenting and family ministry have been an encouragement to me in my current season of life. But today's message on quiet times is one for all seasons and all people. This is a topic we've talked about before on this podcast, but Jean brings some insights and conviction that are sure to instruct and inspire you. We live in an increasingly busy world with growing distractions that lure us away from cultivating that relationship with the Lord. Jean points out that this is something we cannot afford, and the lost world around us cannot risk us ignoring. So I hope you enjoy. I hope it helps you today in whatever you're doing. I grew up in a family where I knew I was loved, despite the fact that I turned both my parents gray at an early age. Um, I did things like run over my boyfriend with his car when I was in high school and, and uh, a long list, but I wasn't an airhead. I read serious books, um, especially philosophy in high school really searching to figure out how am I going to live my life. And um, because none of these philosophies worked, uh, my philosophy of life was in constant evolution. I was a goal setter, and I believe the Lord allowed me to achieve enough of my goals to um, come to the conclusion that it was more exciting to set the goals than to achieve them. And um, in high school, um, one of the periods that was a real pivotal time for me was uh, a time when I had asked teachers to write character references for me. And one teacher gave me a carbon copy, this will date me, a carbon copy um, of the character reference she had written. And it said, Jean's morals are above reproach. And it was like a knife to me because I knew that it wasn't true. And I thought, if I've fooled people, probably a lot of people have fooled me too. And so I was, I had become aware of my sin and was just beginning to wonder if maybe the turmoil inside of me was that, um, my sin and my tendency towards sin, um, was at the base of this. About this time, one of my friends who was praying for me invited me to go to a Young Life weekend at Ocean City, New Jersey. And she um, billed it as, you know, it'll be 500 high school girls and guys staying in an eight-story hotel on the beach, and there'll be a track meet on the beach. And I thought, I know this is something religious, but I can take a little religion to get the fun. So I went with that in mind, but um, this has been almost... 40 years ago, and I still remember the first message. And the speaker was telling about being in prep school and being in his room one night and as he was studying, just tapping his pencil against the wall. And the guy in the next room took it as a challenge and hit his pencil against the wall a little louder. And soon it escalated into a thing where they were really... Uh, seeing who could thump the wall the loudest. And finally, the speaker got on his bed, 
ran across the room and threw his shoulder into the wall, put a big hole in the wall. And he told about um, he and the guy next door, they both thumbtacked blankets up over the hole and used the blanket as a bulletin board for the whole year. And he said there were um, resident advisors and faculty and students in our room, and they didn't know the hole was there. And I did such a good job of covering it that most of the time I forgot it was there myself. And as, you know, he's saying this, and I know exactly where he's going. And I was tracking with him, and I thought, that's me. I have holes in my life that most people don't see, and most of the time I'm unaware of them myself. And I think if I had known what to do about my problem with sin, I would have done it right then, but I didn't know. But I think it was good because there was that period when I just walked on the beach, very aware, like Pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress, with that weight on my back, knowing that that was my problem, my sin. The next message was the cross, and when I heard it, I knew it was true, that Jesus had um, come to earth, as a man, God come as man to pay the perfect one, to pay the penalty for my sin, that I might have his righteousness and be right with God. And I remember leaving that meeting, weaving my way through all these kids sitting on the floor of this ballroom in the hotel, running to my room in tears sharing this room with three other girls, afraid that somebody might come in and catch me praying. And so I prayed. I knelt down very quick, up and down, almost like a genuflection, saying, God, I believe this is true, and I want it to count for me. I just want to be yours. And I remember that night thinking, maybe I prayed so fast that God thought I didn't really mean it. So I was prepared to pray long. (laughs) But I knew a transaction had already taken place. I I felt clean. And it was wonderful. And it was um, shortly after that, a few months after that, that I met the navigators. Um, A navigator-trained woman, Joyce Sackett, in college. She was a year ahead of me. And uh, we spent three years together every day during those college years where she was helping me get established in my Christian life. And then Roger and I met at um, the Glen. Patty mentioned we've been married 33 years. Um, we went, 33 years ago, we went from our honeymoon to our first navigator assignment in San Diego. Um, This was our first staff assignment, moving into a house to preside over a household of ten, seven adults and three children. But early in our marriage, Roger made two decisions that have had, uh, that have really strengthened our relationship. You can imagine what it was like living in a house with ten other people, plus the ministry that went on uh, besides that. 
And early in our marriage, he did two things. One, he put our date night on the calendar every week. I remember uh, coming to a point where it seemed like something always interrupted the time that we had scheduled for our date night. And I remember pointing to the calendar and seeing all these names on it. And I said, I want you to put me on there just like you put them on there. And he did, to his credit. The second thing that he did is that he protected that time from intrusion. The very, it was, it felt so good to me to see it on there in black and white. But when that night came, he got a phone call. One of the guys, can I come over and see you? I have an urgent problem. And Roger talked with him and he said, I have an appointment tonight. Come for breakfast in the morning. Now relationships are built on our choices. That's the foundation for our relationships. And this afternoon, what I'd like to talk to you about is the choice we make to cultivate our relationship with the Lord. There are two basic um, choices that we make. One, the choice that I made to commit my life, to surrender my life to Christ, to accept what he did on the cross uh, for me. The second Uh, but that is really a an encounter when you come to know Christ in that way. That's an encounter. A relationship is built over time. Uh, years ago, when Lorne was part of a small group of men that were designing follow-up materials for the Billy Graham crusade, they were trying to figure out what is it that is most important that we need to communicate to new believers to establish them in their walk. And they came up with two things, quiet time and scripture memory. And someone in recent years asked Lorne, after all these years, would you still pick those two as the most critical? And he said, I'm more convinced than ever. So this presentation is about that second choice that you make to have a relationship with Christ, the the choice to to have a quiet time. So we're going to talk about what is quiet time, why have one, how to make space and keep space in your life for God, and then what to do in quiet time. Well, first of all, what is a quiet time? First of all, a quiet time is making and protecting a space in your life every day for God. It's like Roger writing on my name on the calendar and saying that space is reserved for Jean. How many of you know what kudzu is? Okay, some Southerners here. If you've been in the southern part of the United States, you've seen this green vine that just has galloped through the south. It it climbs up trees. It pulls trees down. Someone, I asked, do you know what kudzu is? And he said, I grew up in Louisiana, and I would say it is ivy on steroids. (laughs) 
And the South had a problem with erosion. And so they imported from Japan kudzu. And now they wish they had erosion back. Kudzu will just, it's, it's like a volcanic um, eruption just flowing through the South. And I read about a, uh, a man who, uh, it was a girl's father, and she said every afternoon when he came home from work, he would put his lunch pail on the porch, and he would go out to the shed and pick up the machete. And he would do battle for 30 minutes every day before he finally kicked off his shoes and came in for dinner just beating back the kudzu that was encroaching the boundary of his property because he knew that if he didn't do battle every day with the kudzu, it would absolutely overrun their property. And ladies, that's what our lives are like. If you don't protect a a space for God in your lives, your everyday life, will eat up every single moment, every waking moment of your day. I keep this. I move this around so I don't get too used to seeing it. It has five walnuts in it, and it's filled with rice. And the lesson of this is the walnuts are the important things of life. If you put them in first, the rice shakes in around it. That's the everyday things of life. But if you put the rice in first, the walnuts won't fit. You can't even begin to get the top on. You can't even get all the walnuts in. And so I leave this, I move it around so I don't get too used to seeing it. But it's my reminder, the important things of life, you need to put in first. And nothing is more important than our relationship with the Lord. And so we need to... Make a space for the Lord, and then we need to protect that space. Secondly, what is a quiet time? It is a relationship with God. Now, relationships are unique. They're hard to describe. I have three children, but my relationship to each one is unique. And so a relationship with God is something just between the two of you. It will change over the years. It's dynamic. It will be in constant evolution. It will always be either growing or withering. And every relationship needs three basic elements. Every relationship needs time. Every relationship needs communication. And every relationship needs expressions of love. I remember uh, once when our kids were getting towards the junior high years, um, thinking, I know what make, made them feel loved when they were little. Do I still know what makes them feel loved? You know, we all have our uh, individual languages of love. And I remember making a list. Does it make you feel loved if I'm on a trip and I bring you a gift? If... I sit on the edge of your bed at night if I give you a back rub, if. And so I had this little starter list. And for each of the kids, what made them feel loved was a little different, except for one thing, 
a date alone with mom or dad. And I think that's the way we think about our quiet time. Yes, you can pray in the car as you're going places. Um, yes, you can pray as you're cleaning the bathroom or taking a phone call. But every relationship needs some some face-to-face without competition. And that's what the Lord is asking from us. That's what a quiet time is. A quiet time is also a spiritual discipline. A spiritual discipline is a habit you cultivate for a spiritual reason. Now, all of us are people of habit. For example, I notice all of you came to this dressed. (laughs) It wasn't a choice. You didn't even have to... Think about, let's see, will I or won't I dress? I believe all of you probably brushed your teeth this morning for a reason. You want friends. (laughs) And so quiet time is a spiritual discipline, a habit that you cultivate for a spiritual purpose because you want to have uh, an intimate relationship with the Lord. Well, why have a quiet time? There are three basic reasons God desires it. And this is so incredible. If you ever get hold of the truth that the main reason you have a quiet time is that God desires fellowship with you, then the uh, axis shifts. It's no longer what do I get out of it and I'm in a dry period or whatever. You come because the creator God who made you and created you in his image for the purpose of relationship desires to have that intimate contact with you every day. And when you think of the incredible lengths to which God has gone to make that possible. When you think of the incarnation, God emptying himself to become a man. When you think of the cross, what a privilege to be able to meet with the God who loves us that much. Matthew uh, 23, 37, Jesus, looking over Jerusalem, he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stone the prophets, kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often have I longed to gather your children as a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. The longing of God for relationship, for tenderness, for intimacy, for warmth. In John 15, 15, he says, I don't call you servants. I call you friends because I want to reveal my most intimate heart to you. And so you have a relationship. You have um, a quiet time because God desires it. The second reason is that you need it. We live in a world that is bombarding us with information that is just the opposite of what God says is true. 
and it's like standing uh, ankle deep in the wa- in water along the edge of the ocean and just standing still and what happens the sand starts building up around your legs doesn't it, it feels like you're sinking and those sucking mouths just keep drawing you further and further down that's what it's like to live as christians in the world and so quiet time is your way of pulling your feet out of that sucking sand and placing it on the surface again every day and that's why we need to have quiet time every day because it is enough to do nothing we sink if we do nothing and so it takes that effort and the third reason to have a quiet time is that there's a needy world out there who desperately needs to see Christ in you I had a what I call a vitamin E night. It's an encouragement night for women at my house. And uh, some women who were in my Bible study came, and they brought some of their friends, and I invited neighbors. And so it was a mix of believers and pre-believers. And um, one of my neighbors who's since come to Christ came out to the kitchen, and she said to me, Jean, Patty has what you have. And Colleen has what you have. But, and then she named somebody else. She doesn't have what you have. She could pick out the believers, even though she, she didn't have the vocabulary to say what it was. And there, just as Moses' face shone because he had been in God's presence, there's something that we're totally unaware of that others can see. There's a world that needs for us to cultivate that relationship with God through quiet time. Well, how do you have a quiet time? When? Start now. It's like uh, a diet or a lot of other things. Our tendency is to say, you know, this really is not a good time to start. But... We need to begin right away with this, uh, to cultivate this habit so that it can serve us. And so, even if this is not a good time, start now, make a start. Because what I've discovered is that those who don't make an effort at every point of their lives to meet with the Lord, even in the times that are absolutely the most inconvenient. They're the same women who are retired with nothing to do who still are not having quiet times. And so we need to make that effort at every stage of life. When? Secondly, every day if possible. Because we're living in a world that is... um, sucking us down, that's bombarding us, and we need to be renewed every day. When during the day? I have a friend who drives one of the big tractor-trailer rigs for UPS, and he has to be at work at 4.45 in the morning. And I called his wife, I'm working on this book on quiet time, and I said, when does Jim have his quiet time? And she said, before he goes to work in the morning. And I thought, I'll call back because I want to talk to Jim. 
And I said, you know, you have to be at work at 4.45. Why do you have it first thing in the morning? And he said, well, I've tried lunchtime. I've tried when I come home from work. And the only time that I'm consistent is that early morning time. And so having your quiet time may mean sacrifice. But figure out what is the time that you can be consistent and make that a part of your life so that that habit can serve you. Build your life around that habit. When Roger was in the Army, uh, he and a, a man named Herb were trying to walk with God together. And Herb was saying, you know, I'm just missing my quiet time every morning this week almost. And Roger said, did you have breakfast? Yes. Did you have breakfast yesterday? Yes. Did you have breakfast the day before? We build our lives around the things that we're convinced are really important, like breakfast. And that's what we need to do with, with quiet time, where it becomes a part of our lives that's really not negotiable. And this is not legalism because you know why you're doing it. It would only be legalism if you had the wrong reasons. Where do you have a quiet time? Well, the ideal place would be up in the mountains or in a cathedral. But this is the real world. And people have had their quiet times in concentration camps, from hospital beds. And so ask the Lord, Lord, where shall I meet with you? And then establish a place and return to it over and over again. In Genesis 19.27, it says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And that is a wonderful model for quiet time. Early in the morning, he got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. It's a wonderful thing to have a place where you've met with God before, where there's a history to that place. And as you go through the Old Testament, you'll see the returning to certain places because that's a place where God met with us. How do you have a quiet time? Well, as I've mentioned, quiet time is a relationship, so it's absolutely unique. Sometimes I come down in the morning to get my tea, and I see Roger sitting in his chair, and I see him praying, and I think I would love to get inside his relationship with the Lord. I mean, his face looks like the face of an angel. But I cannot get inside his relationship with the Lord. The exclusive number in a relationship is two. I can meet with Roger and spend time with the Lord, but I can't experience his relationship with the Lord. And so relationships are dynamic and they're unique. They're always in evolution. They're always changing. 
And so I am going to give you a plan. But there are as many ways to have a quiet time as there are people and as many as there are days in a particular person's life. The reason I'm giving you a plan is that there is something um, not only disrespectful to the Lord, but um, unhelpful in just being haphazard. I'll read here, I'll read there. And so a plan helps you have a continuity through your through your time with the Lord. So um, on your handout, this is a plan for having a quiet time that you may find helpful. You may want to make adjustments to it. I put the date. Uh, I'd, I'd encourage you to get a notebook to have uh, to assist you in your quiet time. It can be a loose-leaf notebook. It can be a spiral-bound notebook. It can be anything that is the size and shape that is helpful to you. And then I uh, decide where I'm going to read. So at this, um, this example is from a period when I was going through the book of Matthew. And so I write the reference... How much do you read? This, again, is very individual, uh, individualized, but pick a small enough chunk. Your objective is not to read huge, huge portions, but to allow God to speak to you as you, um, as you have this time with the Lord. And so report is the idea of very objectively, after you read a passage, what does it say? You're just reporting what is here. Don't interpret. And then you spend some time in reflection. This is meditation where you're uh, looking at this and asking questions where you're trying to figure out what does this really say? What are the implications for me? And then finally, you respond. The response might be writing out a prayer. Your response might be that God leads you to some act of obedience. It might be as the result of your quiet time that you think, I need to call so-and-so and apologize because I wasn't quite honest in my responses. And so you are responding to what God um, is uh, speaking to you about. Now, in any relationship, you have a, a give and take. And so think of your quiet time not as a time when you read the Bible and then you finish that and then you pray, but a time when... Um, God is initiating conversation with you, and you are initiating conversation with him, and both of you are responding. So there will be some mornings when you'll come to your quiet time where maybe you're really heavy um, under some situation, and you may come to your quiet time 
And you may initiate the subject. You may say, Lord, I'm really concerned about one of my children or about this situation at work. And you lay it out before him. And then you open to the place where you're reading. And you say, Lord, speak to me. Give me some encouragement, some direction, some ideas uh, on this situation. And you come to the word, and that's a time when God is responding to your initiation. Some mornings, you will just come to the passage, and God will initiate the subject of conversation. In this, uh, there would be a number of topics that this passage could initiate here, the idea of worry. So God initiates, and then you respond. And so it's this, this give and take, this um, communion, this sharing of relationship. And there are times when your prayers will be wordless, times when you will just <clears throat> enjoy what God is showing you of himself, and in all you'll be in silence before him. So this is just one uh, plan of what you can do. Um, I'd like to uh, conclude with a uh, very familiar passage to you in Luke 10. Have you ever thought, we're talking about the choices that we make that affect our relationships. Have you ever thought, what would it be like for God to say to you, good choice? Well, that's what he did to Mary. Let me read this passage that's so familiar to you. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. This is a situation where God, Jesus Christ, is commending Mary, not because she had a more contemplative nature, not because she was more passive, but he commended her choice. He said she has chosen what is better. He says to Martha, Only one thing is needed. And I think this is a passage that always catches us a bit off guard because we see Martha out there working and we see Mary sitting at his feet and we know that Jesus is a fair man. And when Martha comes and complains, we really, don't we really, each time we read it, half expect the Lord to say, Oh, Martha! I am so sorry I lost track of the time and I didn't realize you were out there 
working all by yourself, and here Mary is sitting like a lazy bones at my feet, and I am so sorry. I think we struggle with sitting at his feet sometime because we half feel that maybe he thinks that it's indolence, that we're doing nothing when we could be doing something. And we think, maybe Jesus doesn't want me to sit here too long because there's so much that needs to be done. But he commends her for the choice, and he said, it's the one thing needed, communion with me, cultivating that relationship with me. And he says, Mary has chosen what is better. And in the Greek, the word picture is the best dish on the table. It's the idea of going to a church smorgasbord and everybody's brought the potluck dishes and they're all on this table that stretches for a quarter of a mile. And Jesus says, when Mary chose to sit at my feet, she chose the best dish on the table. And I've wondered, why does he choose a food image? I think it's because it's we have lots of choices in life, good choices. But this is the one thing that will nourish our soul. This is the one thing that will feed us in our deepest person. And he says it will not be taken from her. So I'd like to just encourage you. I know that many of you have been faithful in quiet time for years and years but for all of us to renew our commitment to the the choice that will most affect our relationship with him. That choice of giving him, blocking out a time, hacking back the kudzu, putting the rice, uh, putting the walnuts in first and making the rest of life shaken around it. The choice that the Lord will say, good choice. Thanks for listening to the podcast. You can help us reach more people by going to iTunes, subscribing, and leaving a review. And if you like what we're doing here, tell a friend about us. In an age of social media, word of mouth is still the most powerful way to spread the message.